We'll be in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 today, if you would turn there with me. Um, it is my joy and my privilege to be the youth, the youth pastor here. Um, I love being a youth pastor. I love our students. It's also a rare privilege to preach on two consecutive Sundays, and uh, so I'm going to kind of combine those two privileges by opening the Word and, and laying out for you a biblical vision for our youth ministry. Uh, around here, we, we like to say that the HPC youth ministry equips students to walk in the light and glow in the dark. Now, that's not new for some of you. Uh, if you're a youth, if you're a parent of a youth, or if you're a youth volunteer, you've heard this before. And so these next two weeks, I hope we'll just uh, encourage you and, and clarify things for you. But if you have not heard this before, if you're kind of new to our youth ministry's vision and you really don't even know what we do, th these next two weeks are especially for you. And I kind of want to let you into our secret little world. I want to shine a light on things that you may not know about. So I invite you to uh, sort of walk through the wardrobe with me, if you will. And uh, if you do, I, I hope you'll get two things out of these next two weeks. Well, I hope you'll get a lot of things, but here's two in, in particular. One is I want you to understand that our youth ministry has a biblical and theological foundation. Our foundation is not pizza and dodgeball, although those things are awesome. They taste good and, and are fun, but they are not a foundation. The second thing is that I would like for you to consider being involved in our youth ministry in some way, shape, or form. And there are many, many ways that you can do this, and you don't have to eat pizza or play dodgeball. So, for now, let's start off with the reading of the word from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful morning. We thank you for uh, the fact that we get to come here and worship you, for you are the creator, and you alone deserve our praise and our worship. And I pray this morning as we hear from your word that you would open our, our ears and our eyes and our hearts to understand your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. My first point this morning is that our youth ministry's foundation, as I've already kind of alluded to, is the Word, the Word of God, and the, and the Gospel. Um, just as, as we read this letter, we see that um, John, the son of Zebedee, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is writing in, in later first century uh, to churches around Ephesus, maybe even in Ephesus. And he's writing to them to encourage them because they've experienced some really difficult times. They, they have seen church members leave. They've seen people who they thought were dear brothers and sisters in Christ leave the faith. And you can imagine the uncertainty that they must have felt. We, you know, they're, they're thinking, we've heard this gospel, we've heard of this Jesus, but 
Now we see people leaving. What does this mean? What should, is this message the correct message? Do we believe the right thing? And, and John is writing to reassure them. He's writing to, to say to them, absolutely, place your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. He is the eternally begotten Son. He is the Word of life. He is our Savior, our Rescuer. And look, I, John, John is writing, and he's an eyewitness. He's saying, I saw him. I walked with him. I sat with him. I talked with him. I know him. He's the Savior. Place your faith and your hope in him. And so he's writing to clarify the gospel message for his community. He's writing to sharpen his community. And this is the message that he speaks of in verse 5. He's saying God is light, and that means a lot of different things, but uh, some of which is that God is creator. He made this entire world. He's, he is perfect. He is majestic in his holiness. We read something more of this in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is light. He is, he is radiant. He is glorious. We're told, in fact, in, um, in Exodus that when Moses was to appear before God, he had to turn his back to God, or God had to turn his back to him, and Moses still glowed with light and had to wear a veil so that he wouldn't blow the Israelites away with the light of his face that he got just from from catching a glimpse of God's back. We're told in Revelation that when we dwell with God in the new heavens and the new earth, that there will be no more sun, S-U-N, there will be no more darkness or night, because God will be our light. God is light. And where there is light, there is no darkness. There can be no darkness. God is holy, and God cannot dwell with sin. And so this is why when... Adam, our forefather in the garden, sinned and rebelled against his creator, against God. There became an eternal separation between God and man. Man was cursed. Man was subject to death. Man was subject to dwell in darkness for all of his days. Man was no longer in the light of life. But the good news is that God has not just left us in our sin. As we just heard in, in the baptism, he's established his covenant. He's establishing a people for himself by his grace. He's doing this through his son, Jesus. God sent Jesus, the light of men, the true light. He sent him into the world. As we read about this in John 1, um, I want to highlight verses 5 and 9 for you. It says, in him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus is the true light. Jesus took on flesh, set aside his place in heaven, so that God could once again dwell with man, and man could dwell with God. And he came preaching a message of repentance, a message to call people out of darkness and into the true light, which was to say, into a relationship with himself. 
And then he died on the cross. And there he took the sin and the punishment that was due to us. He took it upon himself. And then the worst, the worst thing he could, that could ever have happened to him was he experienced and endured the separation from God the Father. He endured the darkness of separation for us. And then when he died, sin and death died with him. He rose again to glory on the third day so that all who repent of their sin and all who follow him can be made alive. We can no longer dwell in the darkness of sin. We will no longer be dead in our sin. We will be made alive by Christ. God is light. And this message, this message of the gospel is the foundation of our youth ministry. When we we say that we want to equip students to walk in the light, we mean that we want them to know the way, the truth, and the life. We want them to know Jesus Christ. And we want to be absolutely clear that there is no other way. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. If we don't do that, if we aren't preaching the gospel, then we are no different than a baseball team or the beta club. We must show our youth the biblical truth that they are sinners, they have offended the Creator by their sin, that they are dead in their trespasses and sins, that they are incapable of spiritual self-help, and that they are in need of being made alive by Jesus Christ. We must teach this gospel, and like John, we must consistently clarify this gospel with our youth. That's why if you were to venture down into the lower levels of this church, into the catacombs, as we call them, uh, whether you go down there on a Sunday morning for Sunday school, if you were to go down there on a Sunday night for our, our large group program, which we call Underground, or if you were to go down there on a Wednesday night for our discipleship groups, you're going to hear the gospel. We preach the gospel on retreats. We teach the gospel on mission trips. We teach the gospel on our ski trips. We want the gospel to be on the minds and the hearts of our youth even as they race down the snowy ski slopes or in some cases as they roll down the snowy ski slopes. So why so much teaching of the gospel? Well, there's a lot working against our understanding the gospel. There's a whole world of things out there against our understanding the gospel. I just want to highlight one thing for you, and that's performance. We live in high-pressure times. Our youth feel, well, everybody feels pressure, I think, but our youth, I think, especially feel pressure to perform. Um, Some of this is from within. Some of this is because of our own sin nature, but some of it is from, from without, from expectations that are increasing. You know, for example, it seems like we, uh, we can't just do extracurricular things for fun anymore. So often we find ourselves doing music or art or sports for, for the purpose of earning a, a college scholarship, um, which, which is not a bad thing. Or take learning, for example. I think so often we, we forget that learning can be good just for the sake of learning, but now we learn for the sake of passing a standardized test 
And so performance is everywhere. And again, I'm not saying that performance is bad. In some ways, everyone must perform. We have things we have to do and do well, and we're called to do everything we do to the glory of God, that is to do the best we can. But there is a danger here that if all we ever know is performance, if all we ever think is I must perform if I'm going to be accepted, then we live in a darkness, a kind of darkness where we feel like we're being judged on our performance in every area of life, including our relationship with God. Living in a performance culture can condition us to feel like God is judging us on our performance. To feel like if we don't perform before God every single day, then he will not accept us. So we need to continually clarify with our youth, number one, that they are inherently valuable, that they are created in God's image, and and so they are valuable simply because of that. But also that they cannot perform their way into heaven. No performance that they give us, no performance out there is, is enough for them to be made right with the Father. Our youth, and everyone for that matter, but our youth must rely on the perfect performance of Jesus Christ. They must be clothed in His righteousness. They must have His right standing with the Father as a free gift, the free gift of salvation. So do you have a passion for the Scriptures? Do you like to teach? Well, you can help us. Now, we have a lot of wonderful, amazing, committed, saintly, beautiful volunteers. I love working with them. And they they give up, they sacrifice so that they can work with our youth. But we always like to get new people involved. We always like for new people to come and, and interact with our youth to teach them, to reinforce the gospel with them, to call them from darkness to light. Now, you don't have to dress or act like a youth. If you did, that'd probably be kind of strange. But you just have to love Jesus and love people. But there's more to this than just teaching the gospel. Walking in the light also means that the Holy Spirit is transforming the hearts and minds of our youth. This is our second point, that the youth ministry's activity is praying for and pursuing transformation. This comes out of verse 6, which says, If we say we have fellowship with Him, with Jesus, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. This is Matthew 6.24. He's either your Lord or He's not. It's either light or darkness. There's no middle ground. And and the reason for this is because darkness, being in darkness is being dead in your sin. Being in light is is being made alive in Christ. You can't go back and forth between those two things. It's a spiritual impossibility. You can't go from one minute being dead in your sin to one minute being alive in Christ and then going back to being dead in your sin. That's a spiritual impossibility. So if youth, or if anyone, only confess Jesus, but their lives do not reflect this, that this is a false claim. Jesus talks about people who do this in Matthew 15, 8. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You think of people whose hearts 
are far from Jesus, you might think of someone who is openly rebellious in their sin. You might think of a youth who is into drinking or premarital sex or drugs or something like that. You might even think of a, a, just a kid who, who just misbehaves all the time. And I want to say that I think this is one way that, that churches have failed teenagers. Many churches have said to the, the misbehaving or the rebellious kid, hey, you're bad. You're walking in darkness. You're a sinner. And that's true. They are sinners. But so are the well-behaved kids. The kids who know the Sunday school answers, the kids who are always at church, the kids who are well-behaved, that's actually who Jesus is talking about in Matthew 15, 8. He's talking about people who trust in their own righteousness, who don't think they need to repent because they don't think they have any sin to repent of. And so they never see their need for Jesus. They confess with their lips, but they do not follow him. We must never think that it's only the openly rebellious kids or people who need repentance. John 1.6, 1 John 1.6 is saying that the one who lies and does not practice the truth is the one who refuses to live a life of repentance, whether the sin in their life is obvious to all or not. Yes, true disciples of Christ must bear fruit, spiritual fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. We see this in John 15.8 where Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. That's the goal. That's what we hope for. That's what we pray for. We pray for students to bear much fruit, and so prove to be Jesus' disciples. But let me tell you something. The very first fruit of that is repentance. It's turning back to Jesus when you sin. Recognizing the, the, the gravity, the weight the offense of your sin, and turning back to Jesus. Jesus did not say, behave, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we want HPC youth not just confessing Christ with their lips, but being transformed by the Holy Spirit and living repentant lives. And we apply this in a couple different ways, mainly. One is, as I spoke of earlier, our discipleship groups, our D groups, as we call them, they're small groups. Uh, they meet on Wednesday nights usually, and, and they're separated out by, by age and gender. Uh, so like we have a, a D group for just middle school girls, for instance. That's a fun time. I never go there. But uh, um, so, so they meet and they discuss and they talk uh, the gospel, they talk scripture, they talk life. Um, it's a time of encouragement, of accountability, and it's really neat just to hear stories of kids encouraging each other and praying for each other during that time. Um, so D groups is one example of how we do this. Another is one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Now, we do some of this, but we don't do it nearly enough, and I'd like to do a lot more, but that requires you. Uh, we need adults who, maybe, maybe you don't feel like you are gifted with the ability to teach in a classroom. But I believe all of you can, can share your life with a student. Um, you can take a student out for ice cream or, or uh, 
go shoot hoops with a student or, or crochet with a student or something like that. I don't know. But you can do all sorts of things like that. Share your life. Um, th- these are the venues where, where a student, on the one hand, who is openly rebellious in their, in their sin and, and, and have turned their back on, on the faith, where they can be shown the redeeming love that God has for prodigals. But on the other hand, this is also the venue where, where students who hide their sin, who feel like they have to appear perfect and don't want to let anybody in on the, the dirty little secret that they're sinners, this is the very same place where these students can feel comfortable to open up and be honest about their sin and see their great need for Jesus. So it's a venue where both of these things can be accomplished. Youth just need these relationships. They need to see someone else living a lifestyle of repentance, modeling that for them. Uh, I, Robert encourages me often by saying that this kind of uh, discipleship, is walking in the light, it's, not, it's taught, yes, but it's more caught as you walk in relationship with someone else. So walking in the light, first, means we believe that God rescues sinners from their sin, And that even after being rescued, we still sin. And so, two, instead of running and hiding from Jesus, we run and hide in Jesus. We find forgiveness there with him. And that leads me to our our third and final point, which is that our youth ministry's environment is fellowship in the light. This comes out of verse 7, which says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship in the light with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. This is not saying that we, we must somehow earn our place with God or earn forgiveness by walking in the light. It's not about performance. It's assurance. It's saying that if, if you know and love Jesus, if, you've, if you put your faith in Him, and you, you are seeing the fruit of a heart and mind transformed by the Holy Spirit, you have forgiveness. You've been forgiven. You can live a confessional lifestyle because Jesus' blood has covered your sin. His sacrifice on the cross was a once-for-all sacrifice. It is all we need to be made right before God, to have right standing with God the Father. We cannot add anything to it. So again, living a confessional life. As John has already explained, this does not mean that we sin more so that grace may abound. It's living a life of tasting God's grace over and over again and rejoicing in our utter dependence on Jesus as we walk with Him. Now we live in a world where more and more this is foolish, even just to admit that you need help, that you need a Savior, to, d- to depend on Jesus, that's, that's silliness, that's foolish talk. And actually it leads to a lot of loneliness and, and uh, exclusion, even rejection. To think that way, to live that way, is um, kind of makes you appear like a leper to some people. They're afraid you might rub off on them. We live in a world that's kind of like Isaiah 5.20. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, 
who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We live in a world where because people do not know the light, because they do not know the Creator, they put darkness for light and light for darkness. And so that means that the first part of verse 7, which says that we should have fellowship with one another, that is vital for our youth ministry. This is why we create or try to create an environment where godly friendships can grow. This is why we do lock-ins. Yes, I still do lock-ins. Only once a year. It's all I can take. This is why we do retreats. This is why on, on this Friday, uh, five days from now, we're going to do an event called Downtown Shenanigans. And when people ask me what that means, I say, well, it means we go downtown and we do shenanigans. Duh. But what that is, is, is I mean, we just literally, we go downtown, we walk around, we, we play frisbee or spike ball, we eat ice cream, lots of ice cream. It's just fun. It's a youth having fun together, getting to know each other better. We want our youth to follow Jesus together, not alone. Um, this reminds me, the very first ski trip I ever went on as a youth, I was 14. We're hanging out one night, and our youth pastor was like, hey guys, let's, let's go on a walk. We're like, all right, walk in the, in the dark, okay. And as we're walking... Um, we start to walk into the woods, and it's really dark. We can't see anything, and we're starting to get this sneaky suspicion that he's, this is on purpose, like he's planned this whole thing out, and he's like, ha, I'll take them on a hike where they can't see anything. That'll be fun. And, uh, and so we're, we're like locking arms because we literally can't see anything. We're kind of, we think there's like a, a, a ravine right here, you know. We're about to fall off, and so... Um, but then there's this one guy, an older guy, who, who had a mag light. And every time we got to a, our little group got to a place where we thought, man, I don't know what I'm about to step into, this guy would come running up and shine the light where we were supposed to go on the path. And it, and it struck me as I was, was thinking about this, this sermon was that, one, we had to stick close together. If you unlocked your arms from the group, you might fall down a ravine and be lost forever. Um, but two, um, we had to walk in the light together. We needed to walk in the light together. And that's how you can be a part of the HBC Youth Ministry. Even if you don't come and teach, if, even if you don't uh, mentor one-on-one, you can be a part of the HPC Youth Ministry because the youth need the church. The youth need the church to be a place that welcomes them, a place where they feel at home. And I want to give you three specifics of how you can do that. One is be the icebreaker. I tell our, our volunteers a lot, especially our new volunteers who have never worked with youth before, I say, a lot of them aren't going to look like they want to talk to you. Um, they might look at you like, why are you talking to me? But, but kind of secretly, inside, most of them are like, oh, cool, this person's talking to me. They just don't show it, necessarily. And so you, but you need to be the icebreaker, because they're not going to come talk to you. 
most likely. There's some who are very outgoing, who will just talk to anybody, but mostly they're not going to come talk to you. So, so go break the ice with them. Take the risk. They will appreciate it. I promise you they will appreciate it. Uh, two is be yourself. As I, I mentioned before, uh, you don't need to dress or act or talk like a teenager. And, and really, it just looks really strange. It sounds really strange. Um, but just be yourself. Talk about, go talk about normal things with them. Ask them about school. or they are, They're always willing to talk about school and vent about school. Um, right now, they'll, they'll tell you how excited they are that school is over. Um, you can talk about current events. You, you would be surprised at some of the conversations you can get into with teenagers about current events and issues that are going on right now. There, there are some very deep thinkers amongst our youth. And then the third thing is be a model, not a supermodel. Someone to imitate. As Paul encourages in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Walking in the light is taught, but more importantly, it is shown. It's shown by those who are already in the light, who have walked in the light for years. As Kevin DeYoung says, a sign that you're walking in the light is that you're honest about having walked in the darkness. So you have an honesty about you. You are willing to share your failures, to open up about those things. Because you see, teens do not need Christian superheroes for models. And I would venture to say that there really aren't any Christian superheroes. But if, if they see models who pretend like they are, then they're going to think, well, that's kind of discouraging. I don't know if I can get there. I don't know if I can be that kind of a super Christian. I've got too much sin in my life. So they need models who have been there, who have done that, who have messed up, and who went to Jesus and found life in Him, and who walk with Him and are willing to say, hey, let me show you how this is done. Let me show you how to walk with Jesus. Do you walk in the light? We need you to come glow in the dark with our students. And we'll talk more about glowing in the dark next week. Pray with me. Father, you are light. You are good. You are holy. And we are sinners. We do not deserve a place with you. And yet you have made it possible for us to know you and to one day dwell with you face to face. And Father, I pray that as we um, seek to walk in the light, that you would continue to strengthen us by your Holy Spirit, build us up, encourage us, that we might encourage others. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.